Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Hello, everybody in the YouTube chat room. Welcome, JC. Howdy. Uh, welcome to our special President Day, President's Day edition of the Chrisanne Hall Daily Journal. Are you sure it's President's Day? Well, you know, it's not actually President's Day, but, you know, that's the national holiday, right? Is it? <laughs> is it? Is it now? Um, it's hard to say. <laughs> Depends on what state you're in. Oh, yeah? So what is it called in California? Uh, California is called February 22nd. <laughs> Because they don't want to, yeah. they don't want to do the President's Day thing. Yeah, I, I don't. California is like out there by itself. Yeah, it's just an unspecified day. The unspecified day because you can't actually, uh, I don't know, you can't actually celebrate presidents. You know, I don't think it's even no, about so presidents. It's about <clears throat> the rich, white, elite slave owners. So the day right? is February 22nd. It is Washington's, Washington's birthday. birthday. Okay, mm -hmm. so in some states it's celebrated as President's Day. Um, and it may include Washington and Lincoln. It may include Washington and Jefferson. Um, and it's officially, it's a I guess as far as the national holiday, it's officially supposed to be celebrated on the third uh, Monday of February, which right. may or may not be February 22nd. But right, not always February 22nd. But it's, wa right. but it's Washington's birthday, and it became President's Day. Now in Arkansas, it's um, Washington and uh, Daisy Bates, I think is her name, Washington and Daisy Bates Day. Uh, in Arkansas, and that's who was was a civil rights activist involved in uh, school integration or led the school integration charge. So, so yeah, is it President's Day? It depends on where you're at. Maybe not. <laughs> so it's different. Well, when place. you describe it as being the sort of national holiday thing, right? That's the third. Yeah. As, so nationally, it's, it's supposed to be nationally supposed to be. The right. third Monday of February. The third Monday of February. And uh, which they say could fall between the 15th or something else. Twenty. Can I just be totally honest with you? I don't really care. Yeah, it's, uh, now, now it's like really a care. sale day. It's, 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 it's a it's shopping day. a day <laughs> that exists to that opens the door for us to speak about these things, mm -hmm. right? Because the hashtag President's Day is trending. Because banks are closed today, and everybody knows it's President's Day. Right. And they're going to be talking about it in the schools, so it's President's Day. Yeah. And I guess depending on what state you're in, they'll talk about it in the schools, right? So maybe they don't talk about it in the schools in California. Uh, well, <laughs> I some don't know. Well, it's like, like some states, it's Washington, you know, President's Day is commemorating Washington's birthday and Lincoln's birthday. Mm -hmm. Then there are obviously some states that, nah, Lincoln's not celebrated on this day. In fact, well, Lincoln's celebrated on no day. Well, so you find states where no Lincoln's not included in that. Well, not only whose that. Whose birthday is on the 12th, by the way, not the 22nd. Right. Well, and not only that, the, I would say in today's society, there's people that don't want to celebrate Washington's birthday either because of all the negative propaganda of slavery and all that kind of stuff. So, Or you might think, why, why are we celebrating the birthday of a president? At all. <laughs> Why are we celebrating presidents? The bottom line is, who cares? The bottom line is, whether you celebrate it or not, the history is important mm -hmm. because you have to know the history of presidents if you're not going to repeat mistakes, if you're going to identify good traits, bad traits, what you want to see in a president. Not only that, you have to, you, you have to use these opportunities created in society to open the door to education that you can. These are like, how do you let a day go by called President's Day and not talk about the power of the president? 
By the way, Indiana and uh, Georgia celebrate Washington's birthday on Christmas Eve, officially. Nice. I don't know what that's about. No, that's about crossing the Delaware. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, okay, that makes yeah, sense. yeah, yeah. I was gonna say he's born like, February twenty second. Yeah, so. no, 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 no. That would be about crossing the Delaware. Uh-huh. You know, the great big Christmas so battle. They're, so they're really celebrating that battle. Yeah, that's basically what they're celebrating. Okay, interesting. Celebrating Georgia and Indiana. The Good, way to go. Yeah, Good job. yeah, yeah. No doubt. So I got an interesting question that uh, on Twitter that opened the door for me to to give a little education and it was very very interesting because it was a very strange question and it was just a question i'm sure the person who asked the question had a specific reason for the question because it was a very specific question and i'm hoping that maybe you can maybe guess at what his meaning was so the question was is there anything in the constitution that would make siblings running for president as president and running mate unconstitutional so is it is it unconstitutional for siblings to be running mates in a presidential election. Trump and Trump. Trump and Trump. like Eric his... and the girl, whatever her name is. <laughs> I get them mixed up. They have like, I don't know, whatever. There's, Melania is the first lady, right? And then who's the daughter? I don't even remember. Dude, are they born before 1812? Anyway. If they're not born before 1812, Chris <laughs> Ann is not going to remember their names. Well, that's what I hear people Period. talking about. So the the children of Trump, because this somebody said this to me the other day. So because Trump, you know, so he's going to win this next term, mm-hmm. and then he can't he can't run again. But we can keep the Trump train going by then letting the children run. So mm-hmm. they want they want a, a you know a new royal mm-hmm. family, I guess. Right, right. So, thank you, Ivanka. That's the daughter, right? Ivanka? Ivanka's the daughter. There's another one, too, right? Does he have more than one daughter? Ivanka and somebody else. The Trump family, the Kardashians. (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) I I, I, I don't don't keep up with the Do I get points taken away because I don't know who these people are? I don't know. I don't know their names. I know Eric Trump because we've we've discussed um, we've discussed him. Uh, about Second Amendment issues and different different other things right. that he's involved so with. Here's so here's the, the so that was the question. So, so that was the question. Can the question. siblings constitutionally be, be running mates? president and VP? Right. No, not be president and VP. Be running mates. So that's the significance of the question because then I was able to respond with the answer: Running mates are not constitutional in the first place. Right. So I was like, woohoo, I get to actually, you know, uh, so so that was really interesting. So it sort of started this this discussion on Twitter about what do you mean running mates aren't constitutional? Well, maybe this is the first uh, the great segue into our presidential election, uh, our presidential uh, President's Day episode. Most people don't realize that running mates are unconstitutional. Because the 12th Amendment establishes that we should have two separate ballots, one ballot for the president and one ballot for the vice president. And the Electoral College is supposed to choose the president and the vice president. And the whole reason it started, it was established that way through the 12th Amendment was they were having trouble with with determining ties, right? So it was supposed mm-hmm. to be the the second person in line for president would then be the vice president, but it got confusing. So they went ahead and made the 12th Amendment and had the Electoral College elect both. And the really ingenious thought process behind that was, what is the real purpose of the vice president? I mean, the only real purpose of the vice president is to be ready to take over (coughs) the office of the president if something happens to the president. Doesn't he do some kind of vote deciding thing uh, yeah, in the house or something? Right. He's the the leader of the Senate. Okay. Okay. And so he splits the vote if there's a tie in the Senate. Didn't that happen uh, in the Obama administration or sometime? No. Didn't Pence do that at some point? I think we recently had a had an instance of that. I don't recall, but I, I thought uh, Pence cast a deciding vote on something. So that has, that's not unusual for that to happen, right? 
Yeah. I mean, that happens from time to time. It happens. I wouldn't say it's not unusual. So what else does the vice president do? I mean, that's that's really it. He's just like a diplomat. Yeah, at this point, he's kind of, he's sort of the uh, the bag man for the president. Yeah. I mean, like he's going I mean, he's around. an extra cabinet member, right? He goes around and does damage control for. Like the marketing guy. The I'm marketing the marketing guy. guy. Yeah, I'm the marketing guy. He's <laughs> He acts as a, a representative for the president. He goes all the places and, and shakes all the hands the president doesn't want to see, you know. He does all the the, the second jobs, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not going to that Republican club meeting. You go, Pence, right? So the idea is the main, the main responsibility, other than the Senate thing, of the President of the United States, is to, or of the Vice President, is to be the President when the President, if something were to happen to the President, right? So the, the, uh, the thought process behind the 12th Amendment was that the Vice President has to go through the same election process as the President so that if he, because if the president, something happens to the president, right? There is no other election. The vice president just moves up into that position. Mm-hmm. So you have to start off by electing the president of the, uh, the vice president of the United States under the same criteria as the president. Gotcha. And why does the electoral college uh, uh, elect a president? Because the president is not the representative of the people he is a representative of the states, and the Electoral College is supposed to be a delegation representing the the, the uh, principles and ideologies of the state as a whole, choosing the presidential candidate and, according to the 12th Amendment, the vice presidential candidate that actually meets and, and uh, matches the principles and the ideology of that state. I, you know, along those lines, when you talk about the president's supposed to represent, be a representative of the states, mm-hmm. you know, on, on behalf of the states. Um, it made me think. You often refer people to St. George, St. George Tucker yes. treatise on mm-hmm. the Constitution, and it's interesting when I was reading something where where St. George Tucker talks about the president. You know, talks about Article Two. Mm-hmm. He he says he makes a point to say the duties of the president rather than the, the powers. powers of the president. So it puts that in perspective. Like this right. is a guy we've assigned task to. Right. The whole right, different right. whole different way of looking at the government, which I think is lost, you know, when you talk about that shift from from St. George Tucker and the, and the and the drafters there essentially writing the how-to manual for the right. constitution and then shifting that to story and 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 uh, these these judges to make their interpretations rather than people who wrote it, then that paradigm shifted from the point of view uh, of the government. You know that mm-hmm. that almost flipped. You know, really flipped it from the people being above the government to now the government being above the people. Now now the government has powers rather than tasks and duties that we've assigned them to do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I thought that was interesting, um, and, and you you point to that all the time with Saint right. George Tucker. But if we want to know the duties of the president, right? We you always say, "What's the first question?" Like people say, "Can the president do this?" And you say, "Well, what's what's the first question? What's the first response?" You know, is where do we go? Well, the question is, can the president do that? Right? the The only place you can find that answer for that standard is Article Two of the Constitution, mm-hmm. because Article Two of the Constitution outlines the duties, I love that, the duties of the president. And what's interesting is is that there are, are really, there's really only one, I guess now that we call them duties and not powers, right? There's only two autonomous duties ever delegated to the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by autonomous is an, a duty that the that the president does without the consent of the Senate, because everything else in Article Two, delegated duties of the president, are are duties that he must do in conjunction with the Senate. So right. there are only two autonomous duties that the president can do by himself, and those are number one, the State of the Union address, and number two, to pardon people for federal offenses. Right. Now, the president cannot constitutionally pardon people for state crimes. 
only federal crimes. And he doesn't need the Senate's approval for pardons. And in spite of what Nancy Pelosi might say, he doesn't need the House or the Senate approval for the State of the Union address either. So the serve as commander-in-chief, you, you say that's not autonomous No. in, in, what's, in what sense? Well, the commander-in-chief, the president is not the perpetual commander-in-chief. According to Article 2, the president is only the commander-in-chief when there is a formal declaration of war, which is completely contrary to the War Powers Act and every kind of understanding that we have about the power of the president or the duty of the president. So the president is only the commander-in-chief of the military when there's a formal declaration of war. So constitutionally speaking, the president can't move troops around. The president can't engage in offensive actions without the consent of Congress. Right. And it's supposed to be that way. Our founders said over and over, I mean, there's so much written, there's always so much written about this stuff by our founders. But they went through specific history, specific circumstances, and said, hey, hello, we didn't give this power to the president because history proves that executives are prone to war. So we vested the power of war in the Congress so that the people will have control over that or not. Well, how do you answer... And the states, because the Senate has to be involved too. All right, when you look at Article 2, you see um, the executive power shall be vested in a president and people come up with this this doctrine uh, of, what, of what they refer to as the vesting clause and will compare it to the legislative vesting clause when it talks about legislative power blah 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 and it has a little phrase the powers granted herein right and they say there was no mention of powers granted herein in the vesting clause in Article 2 of the president. So therefore, the president has broad a broad, unlimited batch of implied powers based on that idea. It just says the executive power should be vested in the president. And then it, it didn't make any kind of stipulation to point to the powers granted herein. So obviously, he pretty much has, pretty much has unlimited power. How do you answer that? That, that the answer to that question is that ideology is completely contrary to everything that the founders them said about uh, the fact. I mean, if you go to Federalist 69, right? Federalist 69, Matt, or Hamilton talks about the power of the president specifically, why the president is limited in their power. And the simple short answer is this. And Hamilton even gave this answer to another question in Federalist 83. He said, he said, to assume a general power is absurd when we made a list. Right. So since we made a list of specifically delegated powers, it's absolutely absurd. That's the word he used. Absurd to imply, to assume that a general power was implied. So why would we make a list if we meant that he could do anything that he wanted? And the reason I point to Federalist 69 is because the distinction, what is an executive that can do whatever he wants? Another name for an executive that can do whatever he wants is a king. Right. And we specifically designed the office of the president to not be a king. We made decisions and shifted powers that were generally exercised by kings over history to different branches of the federal government to keep that power from becoming part of the president. Then I would also interject there to throw in the quote by James Madison, who's actually quoting Montesquieu, to say that when general power is consolidated in the hands of one branch or one person, then liberty cannot survive. That's the whole purpose of separation of powers. Makes sense. Does it? What kind of... I mean, contradicts to the idea of an unlimited executive. I mean, that, that speaks against the very nature of the Constitution itself, mm -hmm. right? Can you kind of explain that, like what the Constitution is? Like why uh, giving the power, having, having a, an executive who can just rule and reign and do whatever, mm -hmm. what would be the point of having a Constitution? 
and 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 how, doesn't that contradict the nature of the Constitution? Yeah, absolutely. Because the well, oh, I, I get what you mean. Like not just simply the Constitution is a contract between the states that creates the federal government. But why in heaven's name do we have it in writing from the first no, place? No, both those things. Yeah. I, mean, that's I mean, from a very basic 30,000 foot perspective, we have a Constitution in writing to create a written standard so a general power can't be Im assumed. Right. You, you have this list of authorized things, of authorized duties, right? You have this list that confines that is supposed to confine you within that list now in the past you made kings make promises right you you rebellious the king you hold a sword in his throat he makes a promise and he says yeah i'll do that but what is 10 years later anybody actually remember what the promise was yeah. so then we started writing down the promises so that when the promises were broken we had a standard to hold the king up to. So we learned from that history, if you're going to hold the government accountable, you have to have a written standard. So the whole idea, just, I mean, the entire doctrine of, mm -hmm. of implied powers would be absurd, would, be, would, would run absolutely. counter. Yeah, and they have a name for it too, plenary power, mm -hmm. right? That means pretty much means unlimited. Whatever they think is necessary to get the job. Which done. means, which another word I would say for it would be undefined. Uh huh. Right. So if you have mm -hmm. implied powers, that means there's no real, there's no definition. They're not listed anywhere. So then that opens the door to well, then anybody can make it up at any time, depending on the circumstances. Which means the complete inability to hold anybody accountable because there's no account, there's no standard to hold them. Mm -hmm. accountable to it's just in their head the whim whatever so this popped up in the chat room and and this is something that that comes to my attention quite a bit because when we talk about how the president is not the commander-in-chief all the time mm -hmm. somebody inevitably says as as somebody here says Jefferson used the commander-in-chief power over the military uh, use outside of congressional war declaration when he sent the Navy and Marines to Tripoli to deal with the Barbary pirates. Yeah, you've spoken on I've that. I've spoken on that. That is not actually true. What's the full the fullness of the that? The fullness of this is, and you have to understand the whole history and the context behind this. Everyone before Thomas Jefferson, even the kings before him, paid tribute to the Barbary pirates to protect our quote. Uh, to, to protect our coasts, coasts and to protect our industries and to protect our trade. So basically we were paying off terrorists, right, mm -hmm. to not attack us. Jefferson from day one said, we can't do that. Even before he was president, we can't do that. He and Adams would be at each other's throats the whole time. While Adams was president, you've got to stop this. So one of the first things that Jefferson did when he became president in the United States was stop the tributes to the Barbary pirates. Well, they knew that there would be, uh, there would be foreign policy ramifications. Let's just put that nice. So Jefferson sent out the message. We are not paying off terrorists, mm -hmm. right? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to assign the Navy to protect our trade industry, right? So he didn't send the Navy to attack Tripoli. He sent the Navy to escort our, our ships along the, the shipping lines mm -hmm. and said to the Barbary pirates, if you attack us, we will defend ourselves. And so Jefferson did not send the Navy to actually attack Tripoli, he sent the Navy to escort our trade ships in defense. Remember, one of the purposes of the federal government is for our common defense. It's not the same thing to act in the defense of imminent threat as to send troops to attack. Mm -hmm. And so that's the difference. So. Jefferson did not send troops to Tripoli to start a war. Jefferson sent, tr sent the Navy to protect our ships, and when, lo and behold, the Barbary pirates attacked our ships, he defended them. And it didn't take long after that for Congress to come behind and then issue a declaration of war. Okay. Does that make sense? So it's defending 
defending property that defending was being attacked. people and property. It's like Donald Trump most recently protecting the embassy. So ultimately there was a war. Uh, ultimately but, Congress did declare war and it yep. very at very quickly for the you know the day and the time. Mm -hmm. But Jefferson did not go over there to create war. He didn't send troops to fight. He sent the navy to defend. Let me uh ask you a question a peculiar topic in the chat room uh, what from a legal perspective uh, the oath that 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 the president takes or someone takes does that have anything to do with some kind of book you have your hand on to is that part of the legal process or a necessary part no. that you put your hand on some book no no, it's it, the, the where putting your hand on the Bible is traditionally showing your dedication to the oath that so help me God, right? So you're you're swearing not just before the for the people, but for a higher power. It's mm -hmm. a symbolic thing, right? Mm -hmm. So if there were no Bible available, you didn't have to. I mean, you, there's no reason why you wouldn't be president if you weren't sworn in on the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. And today, well, and we also have to know that to require someone to be sworn on in the Bible would mean that we are a theocracy and would be in complete violation of the principles of religious liberty. Mm -hmm. you Does are, that make sense? You are a pastor's wife, correct? I am a pastor's wife. Okay, I was just checking. Yeah. I'm, I didn't know you were oh, some thank you, Mark. Mark sent us a, Christian, a, 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 a super chat. <laughs> no, you were some Christian-hating radical what? radical leftist i'm just checking i'm a christian hating radical leftist because no, i don't think we should have to swear in on the bible so you shouldn't be forced to do that you can't no <laughs> because if you force somebody to do anything you're now a tyrant so what if you i guess the same similar question coming at the other direction disqualifying someone who doesn't do that what wouldn't that be a religious test which is that would be a religious test and uh original religious tests another word for that is a test act oath and those are unconstitutional. Those are specifically mentioned in the Constitution. You can't have test act oaths. Why? Because before we actually formed our constitutional republic, there were, there were colonies that became states that were requiring oaths of loyalty to a particular religion. And then, you know, it's not like a friendly suggestion, JC. It's like, okay, all right, not only can you not run for government, but if you live in this colony and you're not part of our religion, we're going to execute you. Yeah, so I was going to say, weren't we Christians were killing other Christians? Yes. Uh, Baptists and Quakers being hanged, Baptists being hanged, flogged, flogged and tarred and, and feathered and, and in prison. And terrible, terrible things in fact, happening. Uh, Patrick Henry, who was an ardent, Christian uh, defended 50 Baptist preachers in Virginia who were imprisoned yes. for not complying with state license and state demands. Mm -hmm. um, and again, this was not th this wasn't uh, Christianity versus Islam. It right. was Christian denomination versus Christian denomination. Yeah, that's and then that's something that that we actually teach at um, Liberty First thing? University. At Liberty First University, well, it's also a a, a uh, a history that Christians, American Christians in particular, well, well anybody, but, but something we should know that we don't know. In other mm -hmm. words, American Christians are woefully ill-informed about church history right. in American, religious mm -hmm. liberty history in America. And how, you know, most people, and you know, we teach this in the course, most people have this picture of all of the persecution, you know, the bloody persecution happening uh, in England, in the old world. And we don't know the history that, uh, Christians were murdering Christians right. on American soil because of this idea of, you know, you have to have allegiance to Christianity. But the only problem was which version of Christianity. Right. And so, right. and that's the thing I... So, so you, had, you had the Quakers. It was mostly the Quakers and the, the uh, Anabaptists, the Separatists, who were well, being it, executed and yeah, so, and tar and, and beaten and flogged and imprisoned for yeah. not taking on the religion of the state. Well, you also had a long history of anti-Catholic bigotry. Catholics mm -hmm. were under uh, serious assault as well. 
Oh yeah, and, because and that, you now, have the now whole that, Catholic Protestant battle well, in England where we came from. Now, but you have to understand also that that some of the anti-Catholic sentiment was not purely religious. No, some of the anti-Catholic sentiment was uh, the fact that Americans viewed. Catholics as having an allegiance to essentially another nation mm -hmm. so that the Pope was the head of this country and their allegiance was to a different country. Well, so that, that was yeah. that was the root of a lot of it in well, the sense of so they looked at Catholics as you're not you can't be loyal or in other words you have split loyalties. You can't be truly loyal to America because you have a foreign loyalty. You have a foreign loyalty. So that was a lot well, of the animosity. There's also a second there. thing too because the Catholic Church throughout history in, in the history that our founders remembered was always a church that had an unnatural marriage with government. Right, and that's what I'm saying. And so, I mean, not, just, church not just Rome, but in England. It well, was the Catholic yeah, Church pushing no, that but kind that's of both, thing. That's, so. that's Catholic and Protestant. I mean, yeah. that's the history of, of, of England. And it didn't matter. It wasn't just Catholic. It didn't matter Catholic. Mm -hmm. But they had a marriage of church and state in the sense of yeah. the, the Vatican that nation and that government they didn't see a separation in that and essentially the church as today not quite as extreme but still today you basically get your marching orders right from that nation the right. vatican so that was that was the real that was the animosity so but but people for whatever reason the church is woefully ignorant of of that history right uh and we don't know the we don't know so you hear a lot of christians um, what I call the religious right, clamoring for a, a sort of theocratic mm -hmm. framework of, you know, America is a Christian nation and, and, and we need to enforce Christianity kind of thing and, you know, target any other religion um, when they don't know we already did that. That, mm -hmm. that was how our nation was founded and it's a bloody history. And then you hear the arguments about um, the problems with Islam. It's, 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 it's just a political system, uh, Sharia, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, as you point out, all of the things in under Sharia and the things within Sharia or, or Sharia mm -hmm. itself, which would be contrary to our constitutional republic, where do you have laws yeah. against any of those things? So question, we just need to enforce the, the law, not came, outlaw religion. The question came up, how should, origin, how, how should a religion be handled? The answer is religion should not be handled by government, period. Right. You don't handle religion with government. What you do is you allow people to exercise the greatest property that we have, the property of conscience, and then you actually, uh, what you do then is you punish uh, people who violate crimes, right? So Islam, you have to allow people to exercise their faith of Islam if that's a part of their religion. But we do not allow people to execute each other. We don't allow people to mutilate their children. We don't allow child abuse. We don't allow, allow spousal abuse. Right. Those We don't allow murder. All those things are crimes. And we must have freedom of religion because we start outlawing things like, oh, uh, we don't like Islam because of whatever. We don't like Satanism because we're Christians. The next thing you know, your Christianity is outlawed, and we know this to actually be a fact because, remember, we just told you, Christians were being executed in America. And, and by the way, and let me say this, as a pastor and a fellow believer, and I know, I mean, we have a whole, you know, our audience runs the whole gamut, right? But just to my Christian brothers and sisters at the moment, please stop this. We got to, out, you know, outlaw Satanism and all this kind of stuff. Why are you trembling before Satan? I mean, you're 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 really mocking your you're own mock, faith, mocking God, and mocking the power of what you say you believe. In in shaking and quaking in your boots, that the government needs to save you from the devil. Now okay, if if you're if you're a Christian, you should believe the devil is defeated. Now we've and gotten off topic I'm, I'm not here, scared. so let, I want to sort of get us We're not back. scared of that. I want to get us back on the President's Day topic. And we started off this way about taking an oath on a Bible. What I think is more important is what is the oath? 
Right. Right? What is the oath? So the oath of the president is, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of the president to, of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. One thing that, that is glaringly missing from that oath that I see people say all the time is that the president took an oath to protect America. Mm -hmm. The president took an oath to keep us safe, right? That is nowhere in this oath. And as a matter of fact, the, 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 I've heard Nancy Pelosi say, we were elected to keep people safe. No, there is nothing in the oath of anybody in government that has to do with the safety of the people. So the, the oath of office is to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States because the Constitution of the United States is not only the symbol, but it is the, the limit of government for a purpose, the purpose of protecting the liberty of the people. Mm -hmm. Is there any other questions? Um, Are done already? I guess. <laughs> what about executive orders? Since we're talking about the president. Yeah, so executive orders uh, are very interesting because a lot of people want to jump right on the scene and say executive orders are unconstitutional. Well, executive orders are not unconstitutional. Exe how we use them can be constitutional or unconstitutional. Because if you jump on the thing and say executive orders are unconstitutional, then you immediately get somebody say, well, George Washington issued executive orders, right? Right. So was George Washington, the very pre first president of the United States, violating the Constitution by issuing executive orders? Well, the answer to that question is no, because there is a constitutional purpose for executive orders. Executive orders are established so that the office of the executive, meaning the president, can issue operational directives to executive agents and agencies. So it's like a CEO issuing a memo to the company, this is how we're gonna run our business. This is how I expect you to act. This is how you're gonna apply the rules, this, that, or the other, right? And so what we then have are the unconstitutional applications of uh, executive orders. And an unconstitutional application of an executive order is when an executive order reaches outside the executive branch and starts attempting to control the property of the people, the lives of the people, the property of the states, the power of the states, and that's when you get unconstitutional executive orders. But there's actually a gray area, JC, in which most of our problems fall. I wonder if people know that probably over 90% of the executive agencies that we have are not constitutionally established. Mm -hmm. So you actually have executive agencies whose entire self-designed purpose is to control the power of the state, the property of the people, the money of the people, the lives of the people, the professions of the people, the food of the people, the medicine of the people. None of these things are, are actually the land, the farmers, all this stuff. None of these things are actually authorities delegated to the federal government. So what then you have is this sneaky little way of creating executive orders that appear constitutional because they're issuing directives to a constitutional agency but, or to an executive agency, but that executive agency has its fingers where it doesn't belong. So now the executive orders actually control lives, property, food, health, medicine. That right. Does that make sense? Because yeah, it's so like I, this, well, it's the, really the, this sneaky little way of making something, oh, well, we're not, we're, uh, these executive orders aren't controlling you. We're telling the executive agencies what they can and cannot do. Right. But it's the executive agencies that shouldn't exist and are the ones that are controlling the lives of the people. Yeah, I think the, it's in the very name, executive, right? It's mm -hmm. your job to execute. Execute. So mm -hmm. there must be a law. You know, there's already a properly passed mm -hmm. law that you're implementing, right? That's your job, implement right. and carry it out. You, you can't make up a law that doesn't exist 
from the executive branch, and that includes because remember the executive is not just the president. Then that's that's the whole agency is the it's the remember it's the executive branch, right? That whole the whole system is part of the executive. So if it's wrong, if if we wouldn't want the president to do it, then the EPA shouldn't be able to do it, right? Right. Right. You know, not well, not just. I mean, notwithstanding, none of them should exist in the first right. place because that's a power a, a power reserved to the state. But the point is, any part portion segment of the executive branch has no legislative authority. It doesn't matter what mm -hmm. you call it, whether you rename it a regulation, a rule, whatever. Mm -hmm. So if you can make rules as the executive on your employees to carry out the laws that have already been passed. Right. But exactly. your your organization, the executive branch can't make up new laws. But and that's a very interesting point, but that's another as unconstitutional aspect of these of of these executive agencies because the executive agencies are actually regulatory agencies. Right. And what happens is unconstitutionally Congress creates an act, signs it into law. The act creates the executive agency. Yeah. Then the executive agencies filled with agents elected by no one, create regulations that have the exact same impact, sometimes even worse, than laws themselves. So what's the difference between a regulation and a law if a regulation can fine you and take your money, can arrest you and put you in jail, and can confiscate your property? What's the difference between a regulation and a law? Well, the only difference is a regulation is written by no one you elected. Regulatory agencies are actually the modern manifestation of legislation without representation. Mm -hmm. So there's so many unconstitutional aspects of these agencies and that's why they're able to hide because we don't even recognize, number one, like you said, they don't even constitutionally exist. There's no authority that constitutionally exists for them. There's no delegation of power for the federal government to regulate our health or our food or our land or our firearms or anything like that. But then you then hide that by putting it in the executive branch, give them lawmaking power, which by the way, the Supreme Court defends, right? Even well, Justice the Congress, Scalia- The Congress creates Mm -hmm. The agency false authority, yes. illegitimate authority, yes. and then the Supreme Court backs that Ju illegitimate authority. It. Well, they they in the eyes of the federal supremacists and the judicial supremacists legitimize the authority. Right. Mm -hmm. Not only that, even Justice Scalia, right? He's like the pinnacle of conservatism of our day. Even Justice Scalia defended the authority of executive agencies to make law. So we've been so far removed from the understanding, number one, that these executive agencies don't co exercise constitutionally delegated authority. Number two, that the writing of their regulations is legislation without representation, which at our founding was the pinnacle of, of tyranny. So this, is, this goes back to, it's kind of like the dominoes that you get to. So it's that Congress is really the source, the, the problem at mm -hmm. the federal level that they create this, they mm -hmm. enable this, they illegally divest uh, authority to these other right. agencies and, and branches. Mm -hmm. And and then mm -hmm. the states fail mm -hmm. uh, to then step in and intervene. And then that, of course, is enabled, right? They're, they're weakened by the passage of the 17th Amendment of no longer being able to control yeah. their senators. Um, so with, with that sort of block gone, uh, then, then the states have to you know, really step up, push back in other ways, mm -hmm. and, which they don't do. Right. So ultimately, it, it trickles back down to the people right. engaging locally, starting from the local area, controlling your local mm -hmm. area up to your state legislatures and then making your state, your states stand against the federal stand against right. its creation right. for uh getting out of out of its chains right right absolutely well and we've we've lost control of the office of the president and this is going to sound maybe counterintuitive to people but we've lost control of the of the office of the president because the states have lost control of the federal government right right because now we have this whole 
national popular vote. There's actually a, a, an organization, you're gonna love this because we have this conversation. We just had this conversation Sunday afternoon. Are you ready for this? There's an organization called Conservatives for National Popular Vote, right? JCs, for those of you who are new to the chat room, right? For those of you who are new to the chat room, JCs, one of JCs pet peeves is this, this idea that conservative is some kind of finite definition of something, yeah. that it actually means anything. And when you have cons an organization that calls themselves conservatives for national popular vote, and then you actually have people who are self-identified as conservatives that support the national popular vote, they can't call themselves conservatives. Right. Unless there is no meaning to that word. Right? So the national popular vote is the idea that the president of the United States should be elected by the popular votes of the people. Well, this is the problem. The, the core of the problem is the lack of understanding of what is the purpose of the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. What is his chief purpose? His chief purpose, and, and, and this is part of the problem with presidential elections from the get-go, and I'll, I'll say it this way, I think that a lot of that happened not only just with the 17th Amendment, not just with the 16th Amendment, but when we deviated from the 12th Amendment and allowed parties to select running mates rather than to have two separate ballots. Mm -hmm. So we lost the purpose and the understanding of the purpose of the Electoral College because we think and we've been advertising and we've been believing that the President of the United States, number one, is the leader of America, which he is not, and number two, he represents the people. The President is not the leader of America, and he doesn't represent the people. The President is an, is an ambassador on behalf of the states and foreign affairs whose purpose is to represent the states. Right. I like that. Maybe the government needs to make a specific definition for what conservative means. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your sarcasm button? That's yeah, really well, awesome. It's, it's there oh, in the print. Oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, That's man. awesome. You know, what's interesting was I, I posted on Twitter the other day, it seems to me that a geoengineered virus is more powerful than a tank and an army to get people to relinquish their rights, yeah. right? And then right under that Twitter, somebody came in and said, hey, Chris Ann, I know you're not, you know, I, I hear you, but the coronavirus is a really bad thing. I'm really praying and hoping that you will, you know, you'll reduce your travel a little bit and you won't travel and teach so much in response to, you know, to keep yourself safe from the coronavirus. And I was like, are, are, you're missing the whole point. I was mocking the fact that people were allowing the government engineered virus to get them to voluntarily relinquish your rights. And now you're asking me to voluntarily relinquish my rights because I'm, fear, I'm in fear of my health from the coronavirus. Let me just go on the record. I don't fear the coronavirus. Shall I repeat myself? <laughs> I ain't afraid of no devil. Yeah. I mean, come on. What is, what is this? Where's, where is, yeah. anyway, let me leave that alone. You know, a lot of this you, uh, you talk about in, in, in your book. Uh, let's see, can I pull that up? Yeah, Facebook, I think, is the one you want to pick. Yeah, let me, uh, right there, Sovereign Duty, mm -hmm. which you'd find on the website. And so you talk about Mm -hmm. You can also get it on Amazon, yeah, and Books a Million, and Walmart. And right. So it's a good resource for you if you want to mm -hmm. learn about these things. Yeah. And um, maybe we'll keep maybe we'll keep talking about these different little areas like this. And of course, there's Liberty First University, as as you mentioned, you have a specific course, Liberty First University, the Power of the President. Power of and, the President, uh, which you it, should it, rename the Duty of the President, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you get, I think the DVD on, on the. Um, site has the extra uh, course on the electoral college right uh, right on the the uh and there might even excuse be me, article two. we have a video on on emergency power right? right because there's a lot of people that say the president has the authority to declare a national emergency 
Right. There's absolutely, that's nowhere in Article 2. As a matter of fact, the authority to declare a national emergency exists nowhere in the Constitution. It's not delegated to the House, it's not delegated to the Senate, it's not delegated to the President, or to the Supreme Court. So this is something that's, that's really, really important for us to, to, to really understand. The Electoral College... What's up, CK? The Electoral College is established so that the states maintain power and authority over their ambassador. Yeah. And, and we've traded that in. That's why when the last presidential election we had, I, I covered the platforms of six presidential candidates. Uh, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, Green Party, and somebody else, right? Did I say constitutional? Maybe that Constitution was Party? Constitution, yeah, Constitution Party. Party. You, look, yeah, you looked at those. And I compared, not the presidential candidates amongst themselves, I compared the presidential platforms on their website to the Constitution. Right. Right? Because what is the standard? It's not each other. The and, standard and is the Constitution. And you didn't find any of them very constitutional. There was not a single constitutional platform. Not a single one. And JC, what that brought, oh, you have, me, I'm, I'm a question the, person. Didn't the Constitution Party candidate like contact you? Yeah. Like the, what, he didn't like. No, he didn't like the fact like that, that I pointed out that the <laughs> Constitution Party's presidential platform on the Constitution Party website was unconstitutional, right? <laughs> so I'm asking myself, why are why can't you find a single presidential candidate with a constitutional platform? And it occurred to me. What is the purpose of a, plat of a presidential platform? The purpose of the pre presidential platform is not to announce the position of the president. The purpose of a presidential platform is to answer the questions people are asking the candidate, right? When you become president, how will you deal with this? Right. When you become president, what will you do about that? So the platform is the answer to those. It's like the FAQ, the Frequently Asked Questions page, right? Mm -hmm. So the problem is, once again, the fact that the American people expect the president to do things that they're not authorized to yeah. do. Let's end the day's show with not just what are the president's duty, let's end it with what are not the president's duty. Right. Well, in, in short, you get an you get an unconstitutional president because you have an unconstitutional electorate. Right, exactly. Asking the president to do things he's not supposed to, he or she is not supposed to do. So the president has nothing to do with the raising or lowering of taxes. Mm -hmm. The president, constitutionally speaking, does not take us to war. Okay. So on the question of war, war, war. A, pre a constitutional presidential candidate would say, I am not the one that declares war. That will be Congress, and I will not move troops without a declaration of Congress, right? Right. The president does not create jobs. Well, the president makes deals. No, he doesn't. The president negotiates treaties, okay? It's the Senate that ratifies a treaty. Not the president. You want to control treaties? Control your Senate. Mm -hmm. Not only that, there is no such thing as a foreign deal as Nancy Pelosi and her, her band of, of, of merry idiots would have you say. There is no room for the House of Representatives in a treaty. They're written out of the treaty process because treaties bind states, not people. And the House represents the people, and the Senate represents the states, mm -hmm. right? As a matter of fact, let me just drop this in, as one of my professors used to say, a little bonus for your educational dollar. Any treaty that directly affects the people is an unconstitutional treaty from day one. So all the duties of the president point to the fact of all the duties he's not entitled to do. The president doesn't doesn't create taxes, he doesn't raise taxes, he doesn't lower taxes. Oh, here's a big one. The president doesn't have the authority to create sanctions. But here's the million no dollar. No sanctions for the president. But here's the million dollar want. question. Dragon Stallion 1001, thank you so much for your love and encouragement. Excellent show, thank you. Don't forget to share. You can choose the answer or not.
choose to answer or not. Oh. Does you the president... Let me repeat this, though, while we're here. No sanction power in the office of the president. No refugee power in the office of the president. Go ahead. Does the, pow does the president have the authority to drive his limousine in the Daytona 500? <laughs> That's what every American wants to know. I, you know what? There's no constitutional prohibition and <laughs> there's, uh, you know, I, I not a power reserved like, to the states. That's a power reserved. That's a state's limo. To, that's a state's He's driving limo. the state's limo. <laughs> so that's grand theft. So the president's guilty of grand theft auto. Yeah. Impeach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, <laughs> once again, thank you, JC. Once again, what this is, is, is the president, he's actually, you know, candidating to the people when he's doing that, right? Yeah, good point. Good point. Now he's he's trying to impress the people. Right. If if we didn't elect, if we even people, here's the crazy thing, even people who don't support the national popular vote still say things like the the president represents us. They'll say things like my president. Yeah. He's Florida's president. Right. Okay? He's Florida's president. He's Maine's president. He's New York's president. He's not your president. And so that's these are the, all the things that we've got to really. Turn we live around, with a total so. different paradigm from from mm -hmm. how the drafters looked at this thing. Absolutely, absolutely, it's, crazy. it's absolutely insane. Well, I want to thank everybody who who joined us, and I want to specifically thank our super chat supporters. Uh, you guys are so awesome. Remember, we can't do what we do. We also, if you don't want YouTube to have a part. I mean, we, we, we love our Super Chat supporters. There are some people, as they mentioned in the chat room, I don't want to give any money to YouTube. So we have another way, JC, for people to support us, to become a, a, mem a, a, a partner with us. And all you have to do is text IMPACT2020 uh, to 33777. It'll give you an option of monthly contributions, right? Yeah. How many people basically send you a link you'll go to the anchor site and then click on click on support there go click on support we end up getting a lot of people they text and so we got this whole list of everybody texting and then they miss the next step the whole point of the text is, is so you can you go there. to the support page and support right here yeah. through, through your federal reserve notes uh-huh yes support through your federal <laughs> reserve notes i think you actually have to use your arrow over there if you want them to see you yeah mark on that but anyway or maybe it doesn't I don't know uh, but anyway I we want to thank you for your support thank you for what you're doing this was a very educational show it was geared to be educational and not just simply political so let me give a disclaimer JC are you ready what everything that we talked about today is about Donald Trump is about Barack Obama is about George Bush is about Thomas Jefferson is about anybody that comes in the future. That's the interesting kicker with a standard, right. right? The standard applies to everyone. So this is not, okay? This is not a Trump-loving, anti-Trump show. Yeah. This is the defining of presidential power. You can also go to the website and donate, right? Yes, you can donate to the website if you'll click in there JC they're yeah. asking me to type in this stuff and amen Johnny deplorable you're exactly right that's not popular to say but you're exactly right right all right guys appreciate it take it easy we'll see you tomorrow see you tomorrow God bless <laughs>